0: New you sound for your Sunday morning. Yeah. Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. The and Rabbi Joseph Betasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, now on 77 WABC. The Rev and the Rabbi. Where
1: faith matters. Good morning. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik and I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I got to tell you, the CEO of Zoom I saw this week in the paper said he's got Zoom fatigue. Of course, he <laughs> said that. He said that after the company made thirteen billion dollars. He didn't say that when the company was struggling and no one knew what Zoom was. So uh, it's 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 good that he's got fatigue, but. Uh, it happened after a number of successful things happened.
2: Anyway, well, I would love to be fatigued by all that money. Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. Fatigue me with it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Today, obviously, is, is a special day uh, as we recognize the importance of mothers and uh, in Jewish tradition and Proverbs is shared with all traditions. There's the famous passage, strength and dignity are her clothing. And we think of our moms. What do they ask for? They, they, they wanted us to, to be there with them and for them, but they really had that strength and dignity. Uh, they didn't look for all the plaques and plaudits, you know, uh, so I think it's, it's important, not just, a uh, one day, but throughout our lives to be able to say, uh, we are so grateful for all that you did for us and gave to us.
2: And yeah, it's part of American culture and tradition. These days that we honor, Father's Day will be coming up in June. Uh, but even Mother's Day, you know, it, it, it's something that started in the early part of the 20th century. I think mm-hmm. it was 1907. Uh, mother Anna Jarvis, mm-hmm. uh, whose mother had organized women's groups to, to promote health and friendship and fellowship, uh, is where it all originated. She wanted to do something to celebrate. And within five years of that, you know, uh, it was made a national holiday. And, you know, that's, that's how it happens. <laughs> and yeah. here we are celebrating. I think it's important. You know, I, I will tell you something. You speak about mothers, okay? So, we, you know, I did the DMX funeral mm-hmm. um, uh, a week ago. And that funeral, actually, uh, um, we, we had, and we had our uh, ladies on the front line and the men security and, you know, men ushers and all that that are involved in leading the family because it was just close, closed funeral for family and friends. But we had the women and it was interesting watching the interaction with these male rappers and those in that community interact with our female On the front line, there was almost a mother and son relationship because many of these individuals grow up without a father or a bad relationship with a father, and they tend to relate to a mother figure. And it was absolutely amazing to watch this sociologically.
1: People would ask my mom, what do you do for a living? And she would say, firstly, every mother is a working mother. And secondly, she said, I'm an architect of human living and design. So, uh, don't take that, that title lightly. Um, hmm. and they, they really, they were exemplars and are exemplars, uh, of some of the most important values that we integrate into our lives. Um, just think how, you know, someone said a mother knows or understands what a child doesn't say. Even if we didn't say it, you know, you, I'm sure you had it with your mom. I could call home from school, uh, hello? And she, what's, what's wrong with you? There's was like, they knew just by the hello, you know, the <laughs> yeah. inflection of the voice, there was something wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: And,
3: and, we and they tend
2: them. to be intuitive. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about this, um, and I don't know his relationship with his father, but you take the situation uh, with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. He cried out for his mother. Yeah. So many situations where a man, a grown man is in, 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 in a bad strait. And he cries out for his mother. That tends to be the first cry, you know, uh, not the father. We we even if we're there, yeah. It's just it's just something special about that relationship between the mother and the child.
1: You know, uh, in a few moments we're going to be going to uh, an interview with Eric Adams, Borough President of Brooklyn, and Mayor candidate. We're going to talk obviously about safety, which is you know a primary concern. And I think of what has transpired in Riverdale. Uh, you have hate attacks on four different synagogues and the person uh was apprehended thankfully the NYPD did a great job in in you know finding who he was but then he was released right with this bail reform one judge you know said I'm going to uh have bail here set here because what you did you know was a violent felony you know, you, you desecrated all these houses of worship, caused a lot of damage. You you brought fear to people in the community, and the next judge said there's no bail. And I wonder what, what message does that send? You commit a crime and you can get right out. You don't have to pay yeah,
2: you have raised this issue on yeah. on several programs. And it's it's scary when our justice system becomes a revolving door. That's 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 a problem, yeah. you know, and if they don't believe that they're going to be prosecuted in any way, they'll continue
1: to do the crime. Exactly. Exactly. I I remember speaking at a anti-hate rally, and I, I said. You know, uh, wasn't the most sophisticated language where he said, change the damn law. Just change it. You know? (laughs) You can't, you can't have it. You know, you have, some of these people have these lofty ideals, but it translates into horrible realities. You can't have people just, you know, committing these horrendous things and saying, okay, you know, what are you going to do to me? They don't do anything to you. Uh, and that's, that's not safety. So I think we have to, you know, raise that issue, obviously, with our guest today. Uh And I'm sure he's got a response because he has a background uh with NYPD. That's right. And he wants to be the next mayor. So he better have some answers. Yeah, I think you you and I are the only ones not running for mayor. There's so many candidates <laughs> who have announced that not let see. <laughs>
2: That's the question now. You and I were at a meeting and you got up and you asked, can I find out from you all who's not running for mayor?"
1: <laughs> yeah. I think one person stood up. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll be speaking with Eric Adams, the borough president of Brooklyn and a mayoral candidate in the city of New York. And, of course, the question will be asked, why Eric Adams? You know, what? why should people vote for you as opposed to the others? And I'm sure he'll answer that forthrightly. State.
4: Sinai Chapels provides compassionate care to New York's Jewish community. Conveniently located in Fresh Meadows, Queens, every funeral detail is handled by an attentive professional staff according to each family's personal and religious preferences. Sinai staff is at the chapel for you 24 hours, seven days a week. Sinai Chapels is committed to your health and safety and offers carefully planned and socially distanced services at their modern chapel or area cemeteries. Sinai has developed Zoom programs for live stream services, shiva, and consultation. Sinai Chapels offers pre-need plans to relieve families of making arrangements at a difficult time. Sinai's pre-need plans offer savings and are 100% government-backed. For more information, please call Sinai Chapels or visit jewishfunerals.com. That's jewishfunerals.com. Sinai Chapels in Fresh Meadows, Queens. Providing compassionate care for four generations. This portion of our program is sponsored by Calvary
2: Hospital.
0: Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. 77 WABC.
1: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tastner. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we have uh, someone we've come to know for a number of years, the borough president of Brooklyn. And I'm sure when his family said to him, in America, you can grow up to be president, um, they might have referred to the borough president. And he's achieved that. And now he wants to be the mayor of the city of New York. Eric Adams, thank you so much for being with the Reverend Rabbi.
3: Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to to you know engaging in a real conversation with you every time I do these interviews with you. not only do I share much, but I learn a lot from the two of you. Well, it's mutual. So I'm sure you've heard wherever you've gone
1: that if New York City is not a safe city, it cannot be a successful city. And what people want to know is what is the plan going forward to transform a city that has become uh, scary for many traveling around, walking around, what's the plan?
3: it's clear. I'm a strong believer that the prerequisite to prosperity is public safety and justice. Uh, They both go together. Uh, We can't have safety without justice. We can't have justice without safety. Uh, Number one, we have to really get shootings under control. The overproliferation of guns in our city and the readily availability to have access to them is a real problem. And so I would put in place a plainclothes unit, uh, call it the anti-gun and anti-gang unit. So we could do precision policing and go after the gun violence in the city that we're witnessing. But we also should have the gun suppression unit in the police department coordinate with a gun special prosecutor that can see the cross section of all of these cases of guns. We, we, you know, it's hard to believe, uh, but there's just a small number of people who are participating in this gun violence, and I think that if we don't focus and zero in on it, uh, it is going to get out of control, and we don't want to go backwards. Reverend? Yeah,
2: you know, I, I'm listening, and I'm just reflecting on the fact that uh, our president is a former New York City police officer. So he gets to see things from both sides. I mean, on the side of the law enforcement officer and on the side of the community. Um, part of the crime issue, of course, is the relationship between uh, the police department and uh, communities of color where a higher rate of crime does take place. Those are the numbers. That's real. We can't deny that. Uh, what do you say to those relationships and what do you have in mind to build better relationships?
3: That's a great question, um, Pastor. It's it's about rebuilding trust. Uh, That trust has evaporated over the last few years, really because of the overuse and misuse of stop and frisk, uh, going after uh, marijuana arrests, uh, many actions that we have witnessed, uh, heavy-handed policing, extremely aggressive in certain communities, and it just eroded trust, particularly when good people. Are seeing their police department treat them in a way that is just not fair, and so I, there are several ways I believe we could rebuild trust. Number one, uh, we need to properly define the role of policing in public safety. Uh, we we have never done that. We have basically evolved over the years on the role of policing doing everything. When we should we should not continue to see that as the modern day police department. Uh, I believe we should also. Ensure that we allow civilians to play a greater greater role in those areas that are nonviolent in nature, like responding to um, people who are experiencing emotional. Uh, disturbance or emotional illnesses. Uh, There's no reason we can't have healthcare professionals respond instead of police officers. Doing everything from traffic enforcement, parades, uh, having our officers really uh, leave the desk and doing uh, clerical duties and go to do the actual law enforcement that we hire them for. And just be really, uh, you know, encouraging to have our faith-based institutions, you know, like your church and the guard squad and and precinct council, clergy council, having them really start rebuilding the trust between police and community. And I think that's something that we overlook. And lastly, as I proposed, the mayor did part of it, but I will go even further, Uh, have the local stakeholders, our faith-based, our community boards, civic groups, youth organizations, have them interview the precinct commanders uh, so that we can find out their vision, their background, uh, how they're going to use the power of policing in their community to do what's right for the community. So this way the community will have buy-in on who's going to be put in, put in charge of public protection in their community.
1: We're speaking with Brooklyn borough president, Derek Adams, who is a mayoral candidate. Mr. Borough president, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the role of faith communities here because it was said this past week, and I think the person was right in saying it, that too often houses of worship, used uses props. You know, uh, people will appear there and then you don't see that individual until the next pre-election period. So there is a role here uh, for the faith community, a very important role as you designated, and, and I'm glad to hear that. Let's go back to something uh, about safety. Traveling on a train uh, has become frightening for many. And it seems uh, when people are apprehended, uh, there are mental issues attached uh, to their personality. Doesn't that say that there are people who shouldn't be out on the streets, that people who need supportive services uh, perhaps need to be an institution?
3: And that is one of our failures when you start to look at how we handle Uh, those who are involved in street homelessness, for the most part, they are dealing with mental health crises. And what we do, we wait until they carry out an illegal action or endanger themselves or others. And we arrest them, take them to Rikers Island. When you look at the fact that 48% of the inmates on Rikers Island have mental health illnesses, or we, take them to a psychiatric facility, give them medicine for one day, and place them uh, back in the streets. Uh, That is a failing revolving door system. What we should be doing is partnering with organizations uh, like Fountain House. They have an 85% stability. We're able to ensure a person receives supportive housing and receive the support that they need for medical care psychiatric treatment and this way we're not placing people back in the street we're creating that relationship and the trust that's needed that, that downstream model of just waiting until they do something wrong is really uh, not a good return on taxpayers dollars it's like it's great to hear you
2: say that you're going to be proactive in that and what happens if we have a safe city, but a poor city? We're going into the next uh, mayor with a, a, a budget deficit that's very serious as a result of of, of COVID and people who are now uh, not wanting to go back to work. I mean, McDonald's, uh, the, the retail stores are having trouble finding workers because people are happy just collecting that unemployment check or government subsidy check. Uh, that's going to be a tough thing. Um, regardless of how safe the city is, we we we
3: need the economy. What's your plan? Well, well said, uh, and I believe uh, there are four major things we must do to get our economy back in operating. Uh, the first is what I mentioned earlier: uh, public safety. Uh, you know, no one is going to do business in this city. We're not going to deal with our tourism uh, boom, multi-billion-dollar industry. If the city is unsafe, you can't have a tourist shot at a Grand Central Station or an assassination in Park Slope, a homicide up the east side, violence in Brownsville, uh, gun violence increasing. It just sends the wrong message uh, to attract people here for tourists and to open businesses. Second, we have to get our central business district back up and operated with clear regulations on how to create a safe environment in the office so that we don't have frivolous lawsuits if someone co- contracts COVID a virus. And third, our city must lose the reputation of being too expensive, too bureaucratic, and too difficult uh, to do business in this city. This is the Empire State. We have to ask, act like the Empire State again and start building empires and pour the resources into our small businesses Uh, 51% of the employees in the city uh, come from uh, small businesses and the last round of PPP uh, of the first few rounds I should say uh, we did not get to our small businesses and so uh, it's important that we focus on these small businesses make sure they have backroom help with our Chamber of Commerce uh, have create a local banking network uh, in the city, and to ensure that they get the technical support to be up and running. Uh, everything from uh, to excusing triple net leases, where they're paying taxes on their lease spaces, uh, to using our procurement dollars to purchase our goods and services instead of outside the city, inside the city. So the focus is on getting the city up and operating. And lastly, employment. You know, uh, Rabbi Jobs pre COVID that we could not fill because we did not have the right skill set. Our goal is to create a real single platform of the jobs that are available and the skills that are needed in our workforce development centers to ensure we start skilling up our young people and those who. Need a continuing education to be ready to fill these jobs in this city.
0: Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Petasnik, The Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com
1: talking with Eric Adams, Brooklyn Borough President mayoral candidate. Mr. Borough President I've known you for a number of years and I know you've traveled to all the parts of the city and one time I heard you speak about how different communities as different as they are are also the same in what they want uh, for their communities. That you know, they all want safe uh, communities. They all want good educational programs in their communities. I mean, how do we get You know, how do we get these communities also to talk to each other so we're not, you know, separate enclaves? Because there's got to be much more uh, collaboration.
3: And that is important. Uh, We need to be intentional about tearing down the walls that are preventing us from Communicating and like the program we put in place two years ago, uh, breaking bread, building bonds, a mm-hmm. uh, hundred dinners across the city, ten people at each dinner, all coming from a different ethnic, religious, c- cultural uh, background, and we're doing something revolutionary. We're talking to each other. Uh, when you see an uptick in hate crimes in a city, um, Asian violence, anti-Semitism of. Uh, against different ethnic groups you're really seeing a byproduct that we are segregated and isolated in this city and so it's in- encouraging to be intentional with programs like breaking bread building bonds but also in our school we must have an asset-based educational system when we look at our differences and our variations as teaching moments Uh, If someone comes into school with a a keeper, let's talk about Jewish heritage and what it means to wear. If they wear a hijab, let's have a a course around this so we can talk about it. Uh, Someone from a various part of the African-American or African diaspora, uh, let's lean into these learning experiences so we can stop being afraid of each other and start embracing each other. Because this action that our children are doing with hate crimes Uh, It's just really a reflection of what we are not doing about celebrating our diversity.
2: Hmm, hmm. Uh, Member President, you touched on crime, public safety, touched on the economy, uh, and a little bit on education. There is a COVID learning gap with from home, we have one of the largest in the country, if not the largest uh, school system, with a student population of some 1 million students. How are you gonna address the educational learning gap created by
3: COVID? And you're right, Pastor. Uh, The studies are stating that English, uh, there is a slight drop, but the real drop uh, is math. There is a substantial drop that is really alarming uh, for the future of this country uh, due to the math drop uh, first uh, we should not have uh, uh, we should have suspended summer off last year to catch up I, I i shared with the mayor we should have had all year learning so that we would have been able to get ahead of the COVID virus because as you know we all knew that there was going to be a spike in November and i believe we should have had a moment of catching up but well, here we are now. I believe that we need to extend uh, school hours and extend summer learning. Uh, every child that is going through some form of academic uh, academic challenge should be allowed to go into summer school. And we need to use the money that's coming from the federal government and from the Campaign for Fiscal Equity uh, to target uh, these schools so that we can have a, a robust summer learning uh, program, and then going into September, uh, we need to modify the school day and extend the hours, and then we need to do universal tutorial services for every child that wants it and needs it. Uh, It's imperative that we get ahead of this so that we don't have uh, this slide uh, turn into a permanent state. Uh, we were already doing a terrible job. We look at the numbers, 65% of black and brown children don't need prof- proficiency in our schools every year. Uh, that in itself is alarming. We don't need to add to that uh, by having this, uh, this slide, this COVID slide that we are experiencing. And we need to invest in remote, remote learning. We should create one of the best remote learning systems in the entire country. Uh, It is not a replacement for in-class learning but it can compensate and add to it. So we don't have days where children are ill or snow days or other days where they would miss their instruction. Uh, it's time to give our educators the full scope of how to do remote learning and our students on how to get the best benefit from from remote learning. We stumbled into remote learning uh, last year. Uh, we need to now – Turn it into a professional operation before we let you go, so, no, President, we're, we're coming
2: to the <laughs> end of our segment. And I've got to ask you this. The latest poll says you're edging out Andrew Yang. Are they discovering Eric Adams or undiscovering <laughs> Andrew Yang?
3: <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I really look at the polls because they're going to go up and down, up and down and so many changes. Uh, but there is a real uh, discovery uh, taking place in the city. Uh, remember uh, when all polls showed that Andrew's name recognition from running for president and spending almost $46 million in advertisement being on uh, CNN as a commentary uh, a person with that gay commentary uh, he had a high name recognition and people really started to dig into that name recognition and ask the tough questions. You know the city uh, you know uh, these, we are tough New Yorkers And we dig into exactly who you are. Uh, So I I have been extremely fortunate, never ran citywide, but my name recognition was uh, respectable. And now we're going up on air, TV, radio, doing our mailings. And now new people are learning who I am. And they're discovering how important it is to me uh, that we have a safe city with justice, and we make sure the city is affordable for everyday New Yorkers, and I believe my message is resonating, and it's going to continue to resonate in these next few weeks before Election Day.
1: Reverend, let me tell you something about uh, uh, Borough President Adams, and this is a true story, because I remember sitting there listening to you, Borough President, when he ran for a political office, there was a woman who came to him and said, look, I don't have much money, you know, just some change, and... She handed you, as I recall, a jar full of change and you kept it on your desk because you said you wanted to be reminded every day that the little person counts too. And I think that's very important that every person matters uh, and we can't just cater to special interest that every person is special. And I think if that's the philosophy, that's the right way to go. Well said Eric Adams.
2: Well, yep, There you have him. Eric Adams, the next, oops. Well, I don't know, I saw uh, a moving truck in front of, I, I, I saw a moving truck there. in front of Borough Hall the other day, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. All right, thanks so much.
1: Thank you so Talk much for, you 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 for no, being no. on the
2: program. Bye-bye. God good, bless, good and good we'll good be good back. Good Both Take care. care. We'll be back with more Both of the, the Rev and The, the Rabbi. rabbi.
0: Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 W.A.B.C.
1: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik.
0: And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard.
1: You know, Reverend, I was so glad I was able to say uh, this, this notion that houses of worship too often have been used by as props. You know, you and I have discussed this, uh, that people come to see us uh right before the election and you know they they call us uh, repeatedly but then after the election it's not the same and uh i hope all candidates realize that what you do the day before you also have to do the day after uh the follow through that uh, lip service has to be coupled with body language so, uh, and we know Eric. Uh, we, yeah, we we've had a relationship with him, as we have with some of the other candidates. But you know, it's always good when when you know when you're talking to someone, what he really represents, what he stands for, not just something that uh, is conveyed in some TV or radio ad.
2: Well, you know, I, I, we've known him for years. Uh, we know his record, and um, you know, it's been a great working relationship within the borough of Brooklyn, where you know I'm based, and um, you know, look, he brings a lot to the table. He brings a lot of experience, uh, relationships, et cetera.
1: You know, one of the things that him, that I was happy to hear is his feeling about restoring the crime units, changing the dynamic a bit, uh, but having those crime units. When you see the numbers, you know, simply to have this this uh, ridiculous cry of defund the police, when people are afraid to walk you know, to a train station, when they're afraid to walk to the corner, when you go through the city after, you know, 8 o'clock at night and you see empty streets and you're saying defund the police? Now, you may want to talk about reform, but let's not talk about defunding. Uh, this is not, you know, where the focus should be when people are just worried about their safety.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and, and to what you said in the beginning, uh, that, you know, um, the relationship between government and political and elected officials and, and religious organizations. Um, you know how it works. You know, we need them. They need us. It should be a balanced working relationship. Uh, often they come to our houses of worship to legitimize th- their policies or, you know, uh, solicit votes. But that has to be lived out in a real relationship that makes change within our communities. I think that's very, very important. So we have a responsibility anyway to hold them uh, uh, accountable across the boards.
1: Look, you and I have officiated at ceremonies. Think of a wedding ceremony where all the right things are said. And then surely thereafter, <laughs> you don't hear the same pronouncements coming from the couple that you heard when they were standing there, you know, hand in hand, arm in arm. Uh, so it, there has to be consistency. And uh, and I heard something the other day which I think makes a lot of sense. You look at what's happened in the Middle East. You heard of the, the changing dynamic there, the Abraham Accords. You now have relationships, uh, Israel and other countries, that you didn't have that kind of relationship before. And the person said, but look at the interfaith relationships, that that was predicated or inspired by the fact that clergy of different faiths were talking to each other. So, mm-hmm. I right. So I think there's much to be gained from having our clergy of different communities. And we have that in New York of speaking, you know, uh, from the heart. Uh, and expressing exactly what we need to say to each other, and you build on that. That's why you can't ignore the faith communities.
2: You know, we are, and and this is why elected officials come to us and have clergy photo ops, etc. We know how it goes, uh, because think about it. Government is an authority. In fact, uh, it's the ultimate authority, tends to be the ultimate authority within a society. But on the other side of that, the church. We represent an ultimate authority. We represent God. We represent, you know, the supreme being. So it's interesting when you have two claims to ultimate authority within the society, exercising that authority in a way that works together for the common good. That's what it should look like.
1: Yeah. And look, we went through a crisis uh, and we still in this COVID crisis. And just think uh, where we would be if you didn't have Faith communities out there distributing food, providing, you know, vaccine information, being, you know, a resource uh, for people who are hurting because so many felt isolated. They felt disconnected. And we were able to say, no, no, you belong to us. Even if you're a different faith tradition, we didn't say, what is your faith pr- tradition before we allow you to participate? You know, we said, you're you're a creature of God. You matter to me. Uh, right. And, and I think there was an important lesson gained. Uh, from this uh, pandemic challenge where we recognize the interdependency of different faiths and of different communities?
2: And, you know, look, there are certain things that we as the faith community can do effectively that government can't do. The faith community is the largest global, not-for-profit, charitable organization in the world, char- charitable entity in the world. You know, I, I, I remember when, you know, there was conflict with your, your friend, Mayor Koch, <laughs> and, and the, uh, the Salvation Army. And there were issues in terms of employment based upon uh, faith. And Koch said it was discriminatory. And, they, and, and he said, well, look, we're, we're going to pull the funding for your soup kitchens and the you know salvation army responders said okay go ahead <laughs> and next thing you know you had all of these people hungry on the streets yeah, yeah. and he, he, of course he rescinded that, that executive order and reopened it so we have an important place and how many times in human history the beginning of the soviet union you know in 1918 where they tried to stop the church from carrying on education, from carrying on humanitarian works, you know, um, and it backfired. So we have a very important place in society in terms of what we
1: do beyond our moral authority. You know, I think of historically that the house of worship served as a place for the lost and found. That if you found something that belonged to someone but you didn't know to whom, you brought it to the neighboring house of worship. And think of all the people who feel lost and found that when they walked through the door, there was a place for them. Or if they got on Zoom, there was a place for them. But they realized that they mattered. They were part of the circle. And uh, we could be many faiths. As believers, but ultimately we belong to that same human family. So uh, I think we can be proud of who we are, what we represent, and we need to share that with as many people as possible.
2: Yeah, I, I will tell you, Rabbi, the, the next mayor of New York City, they're going to have their hands full. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take some humility, some empathy, some collaboration, and some moral courage in order to uh, move the city forward and, go beyond the impact, negative impact of COVID.
1: You know, I'm glad you said that about humility, because I think of some of the great commentaries uh, of the Bible, and there are times when there's a passage in the Bible, and the commentator writes, I've seen the Hebrew, I don't fully understand this. And to be a great Mm. commentator, to be brilliant, is also to admit that you don't have every answer. It begins with humility. All right, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you for listening to the program, and uh, again, listening to the rabbi. Of course, you love listening to the rev, I understand that, but thank you for listening to the rabbi. Well, I listen
1: out of humility, to Sunday. Out of I also you, we love listening to the rev. I remember there I, it is. I've See? been I've been privy to a number of your sermons, and uh, you are a master preacher and teacher. So thank you so much.
2: Well, well, I want to thank you for those sermons because they've often been inspired by you. See? There you go. All right. and, hey, look, it's Mother's Day. We've got to make sure to all the mothers out there that we wish them a very happy and blessed Mother's Day.
1: And be thankful for the mothers no longer living that we have them in our lives. Thank you so much. Till next
2: time. God bless.
1: The Rev and the Rabbi.